Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. Happy Father's Day. Uh, Before we get started, I actually want to take a few moments to talk about today uh, and specifically talk to the men. Uh, We might not want to admit it, but Father's Day can be a day full of celebration, but a day that's also full of frustration and pain. It's like Mother's Day, and oftentimes churches spend a lot of time on Mother's Day caring for those people, and so I just want to take a few moments to care for you, whether you um, are here for the first time or you've been coming here for a while and you're wondering what are they going to do today, uh, this is what I want to talk about to start. And so days like today are complicated. Um, there's pain that you have, there's frustration that you have, there's joy that you have, and there's a mixture of those things. And so two years ago during Mother's Day, we actually read uh, a poem that was written to moms. And uh, this past week, I'm trying to figure out, like, what do I talk to you guys about uh, when it comes to Father's Day? And I found one that's similar for, for dads and for men. So here's what I want to read to you guys this morning. Uh, To the men who are fathers, those who are staying in the game with kids of their own, we celebrate with you. To men who have stepped up, those who have stepped in to take care of and play the fatherly role for children who aren't their own. That's stepfathers and grandfathers, uncles, older brothers, foster dads, uh, and so much more. Um, To those men, we thank you. To the men who are grieving, those who are grieving the loss of a father, navigating a strained relationship with their father, or navigating a life lived in the absence of of a father, we mourn with you. And to the men who want to be fathers, those who long to be fathers of their own, but for some reason it just hasn't become a reality in your lives yet, we pray with you. And what we want you to know is no matter how today makes you feel, you're not alone. And we as a church are with you and we as a community are with you. Um, There are people who, no matter what you're going through today, whether it's the joy or the pain or just that weird mixture of both, there are people sitting in your row, there are people who came to first service who know how you feel. And ultimately, we want to say thank you for being with us today and spending your Sunday focusing on God, because ultimately on a day like today, that's the best thing that you could do, no matter how you feel. So thank you for being here. Now let's talk about honor. A few months ago, uh, we did a series called Guardrails that was all about having healthy boundaries in your life. And one of the topics that actually came up multiple times was social media. And so one night during the series, my wife and I both decided that we needed to remove some friends we had on Facebook because we realized like we didn't need to have these people in our lives anymore. And specifically, we both went back and unfriended every ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend either of us had because one of the things we talked about in the series was how these connections exist, we keep them going, there's a Facebook message, and before you know it, if you don't have guardrails, you're driving off a cliff. And so my wife and I, we decided to go through and let's remove the people from our life that push us toward that cliff. And as I was scrolling through my feed, I started to get really frustrated because I kept seeing posts from one guy who was bragging about how awesome he is to his wife. Now, I guess it was her birthday because it was like picture after picture after picture, but every post was, brought my wife to her favorite restaurant because I love her that much. There's another post that said, got my wife flowers because I'm the best kind of husband. There's one that said, the best husband gives his best lady jewelry. And I kept scrolling, kept seeing them wondering what algorithm is punishing me right now by Facebook. It was exhausting. And the truth is, it was hard to tell if he did all of those things for his wife or so that everyone on Facebook would praise him. I did what most normal people would do in that scenario. I unfriended him. We're no longer friends. (laughs) 
But I think this is one of the issues that we run into when it comes to honor, right? Because sometimes it becomes more about us than the people that we're honoring. Today, we're ending this series called Uncommon, and I want to remind you where we've been. Here are some of the major points from this series. Honor means to treat someone as uncommon. We're doing this series because as a culture, we're just not good at honor. Our culture does not teach this value. But the Bible over and over and over again says that followers of Jesus treat people this way. They treat people as uncommon. They treat people with honor. Honor starts in the heart. It's not just going through the motions. I make an active choice to treat you as uncommon. I make an active choice to value you differently. Honor takes action. It's not just simply deciding to value someone. It's actually showing them that you value them. James in the Bible says, you say you have faith, but I will show you my faith. And I think we can trade out that word faith for honor because honor takes action. Honor is based on my character and not your conduct. This one's really important. And the reason why that's true is because Jesus didn't treat us the way that we deserved. He treated me according to who he is with grace and mercy. So even with people who actively oppose me, I will show honor with boundaries because honor is based on my character and not someone else's conduct. We learned in this series that the baseline of honor is obedience. The best way that you can honor somebody is to do what you are asked. The best way to honor your wife is not to take her on vacation. You should still do that. But the baseline of honor is doing what she asks you to do week to week and day to day. We also learned that the pinnacle of honor is loyalty. I pursue a relationship with my parents regardless of what they have done or what they have not done as a way to honor them, as a way of staying loyal to them. And we learned last week to honor someone, we asked the question, what can I do to help? And if we make a lifestyle of asking this question and actually following through, we will be people that are known for the honor that we show. Now, if you've missed any of the past four weeks, I strongly suggest that you actually go back and check out these sermons. They're on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. And the reason you should listen to these sermons is because this isn't just a sermon series to teach you what the Bible says about honor. And this isn't just a sermon series to teach you how Jesus shows honor. Those are both parts of it. But the reason you should listen is because we want our church to have a culture of honor. We want to be known as the church that treats other people as uncommon. And so this series is a big deal because we want honor to be in the DNA of everything that we do. So if you miss one of the weeks, you should go back and check them out. And all of this series has been great. I know for me personally, I've enjoyed talking about honor. Um, to be honest, it's really challenging me as a parent and as a follower of Jesus. But after talking about this for four weeks, I realized that this could also become a bad thing because we often love the attention that we receive from giving honor. Right? We love when somebody says, thank you for that note. Or honey, thanks for cleaning my car. Or dad, thanks for the ice cream. Or Michael, those words of encouragement mean a lot. We love when people notice our honor. I love that. I want to be known as a person of honor. You love that. You hopefully want to be known as a person of honor. And at first that sounds fine, but then we go and do something like this, right? We finish the project our wife asked us to complete. We decide to do a random act of kindness. We write someone an encouraging note, but instead of just allowing our honor to happen, we decide to just take one quick picture, right? And then that picture turns into us deciding that, well, If I did it, I should probably be in the picture. And so we position ourselves right in front of our wife's car that we just watched, and we snap a selfie. 
And of course, because we actually took the picture, it would be a shame for us not to share it. And then we write a caption, just finished the wife's car, or I can't help but randomly loving people, or just a few encouraging notes for my bestie. Hashtag honor, hashtag uncommon, hashtag all about honor, hashtag no filter, hashtag don't you wish you had a husband like me. And I'd keep going, but saying the word hashtag and then a word after it actually makes me want to vomit. But that's what we do, isn't it? Right? You may not be trying to self-advertise, but if you're like me, you love being thought of as a person of honor. And I want us as a group to be known as people of honor, but it's dangerous to love being a person of honor. And so we have to talk about this last, last topic today because we can do everything we've talked about in this series, but if we are not careful, treating others as uncommon stops being the goal and becomes a means to getting noticed. And being known as a person that treats people as uncommon becomes the end goal, and it loses the integrity that honor is meant to have. The good news, though, is that Jesus knew this about us. And so we're going to read a scripture today from Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to finish this series by talking about the most difficult way to honor. And so if you take notes, write that at the top, the most difficult way to honor. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. And everything that Jesus is about to say that we're going to read today can be summed up in that one verse, and you can even replace it with honor. Don't do your honor publicly to be admired, or you will lose your reward. Now, without context, this is a really tough verse, because you start to wonder, does this mean that we should never let people see our honor? And the answer to that is no. But the context here is very important. Because in the same sermon, just one chapter earlier in Matthew 5, Jesus says this. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And there's a key phrase in this verse. He says, let your good deeds shine so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And that's kind of contrary to what it says in chapter 6 where Jesus says, don't do your good deeds to be admired. You see, Matthew 5 is teaching that we do good deeds so God can be praised. Matthew 6 expounds on that by saying, make sure it's for God and not for yourself. This reminds me of a question that I get about baptism from time to time. I regularly get asked, if I get baptized at Collective, does it have to be during the service? And if you've ever been here for one of those Sundays, we have a trough that goes on stage. We do it during worship. We celebrate it together. And for a long time, I wrestled with this question because when Collective first started, uh, we did five baptisms in Lake Linganor. We did some baptisms in a hot tub. We've done them kind of all over the place. But eventually, the school actually said we could do them here. And for a long time, they said no. And so once the school said we could do them here and specifically in this gym, we realized that the best place for it to happen is doing worship. And so when people ask me this question now, the answer is yes. Now, are there special exceptions? Sure there are. There are people who have jobs that they are not allowed to have pictures taken of them and posted online. We do their baptisms somewhere else. We've done that before. It's weird. He's an analyst. I don't believe him. But there are exceptions to that. But if you want to get baptized and you're able to, we want to do it on Sunday morning. And there's two reasons for that. The first is that Jesus says that if you follow me, you must acknowledge me before others. So if you're not willing to acknowledge that Jesus is your Lord and Savior in front of people that are absolutely going to go nuts for you, support you, pray for you, then you're probably not going to acknowledge him in front of a couple people who oppose you. And the second reason is because baptism is the most important thing we do, and it's the best vision casting we do as a church. There is nothing more important than when God's lost children comes home. 
You're submitting to him in obedience. You're turning away from your sin. You're accepting the gift of grace. And you're saying, God, I'm yours and you are mine from this day forward. And as a church, we celebrate that. It's better than anything that I will ever say on this stage. It's better than anything we will ever do. And so you don't get baptized on Sunday morning to be cheered for. That's weird. You get baptized to bring glory to God. And that's a great example of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says doing good deeds in front of others comes down to motive. Is it for God? Is it for you? And then Jesus expands on this in verse 2. He says, when you give to someone in need. Now, we're going to pause there for a quick second. Jesus is going to make three statements that start with these two words, when you. He's going to say, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. And these are the three primary habits in Jesus' day of a good Jewish person. There's a story in Luke 19 in the Bible where Jesus tells a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee actually stands up and he begins to pray about himself. And what do you think he talks about? He begins to talk about his giving and his praying and his fasting. It was just understood and assumed at the time that anyone following God would do those three things. These are foundational to their trust in God. And so here's what I want you to notice. Jesus assumes that if you are a follower of Jesus, that you are doing these three things. He says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. He is not going to go and try to convince you to do these things. It isn't when you feel like it. It isn't when it's convenient. He says, when you do these things, because if you truly are following me, I know that you're doing them. And so let me be clear, we expect every person who gets baptized and every person that follows Jesus, now make sure you understand the context of what I'm about to say, everyone who claims Jesus as their Lord, we expect you to give generously. We talked about this in November in our series called Unleashed. The Bible teaches that the baseline of generosity is a tithe, which is 10%. We expect you to pray regularly. We expect you to read your Bible daily. We expect you to serve. We expect you to invite people to church. We expect you to do those things. And this has nothing to do with collective, right? If what I'm saying right now upsets you and you end up going to another church, guess what? We still expect you to do those things if you are a follower of Jesus. And the reason why we expect you to do those things is because Jesus does. And we're not going to lower the bar. And so when you give your life to Jesus, he is your Savior and Lord. He gives you grace and truth. So if you accept his grace but don't live by his truth, have you really accepted his grace? Because you're not trusting him when it comes to how to live. And what you're saying is that you just want some divine safety net for when you mess up and get to go to heaven when you die. But if you really want to do what only you want to do and you really want to be your own God, so if you don't trust him and, and when he tells you how to live, can you really trust him when it comes to your grace? See, some of you need to go home today from church and have a conversation with yourself that goes like this. If I say I'm depending on Jesus but don't do the basic things that he expects his followers to do, am I really depending on him? Right? Is Jesus really my Lord and Savior if I don't even try to do what he says? And I'm not talking about trying and failing. That's where grace comes in. We're good there. And I'm not talking about wanting to do what he says and not agreeing with it. He's God. He knows better than us. I'm saying if you're not even trying, because you cannot separate grace from truth. When you do that, it all falls apart. And that's why Jesus says, when you do these things, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, 
will reward you. You see, honor has a reward. The first verse we looked at in this series talked about this. First Samuel 2 says, I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who think lightly of me. So honor has a reward. You reap what you sow. And so if your goal is to get praise, do your good deeds in front of others, and that's what you'll get. That's the reward that you will receive. And we see this all the time when it comes to professional athletes and celebrities and corporations, right? They show commercials about how they serve with the United Way or did some sort of disaster relief, and they put it on social media because they want everyone to know they did this good deed. And Jesus says that people knowing is the reward, right? The reward for these celebrities and organizations is the praise from the public, which is truly their goal. And what they're doing is good. Uh, serving the community is a good thing. Caring for people is a good thing. We applaud them for doing that. We're glad that they did that. But Jesus teaches that the praise of people ends up becoming their reward. Jesus continues in verse 5, and he says this, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. He says, when you fast. Now, fasting refers specifically to going without food for a set period of time. And every time you have a hunger pang, you call on God in prayer or something urgent. It's this idea of putting you in a place where you are reminded to depend on God. And so you usually fast over something specific. Often in the Bible, they fast when they're mourning and they're reaching out to God for comfort. Or they'll fast when they need God to act in a big and miraculous way. And so Jesus says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. From time to time, I actually bump into a guy that I met a few years ago before Collective ever started. He goes to a different church around here, and almost every time I talk to him, when I ask him how he is, he always responds by telling me that he's fasting for something. And then what he'll do is he'll actually point to a cup of water on his table and he'll say, this is all I'm consuming today, right? He's like super depressed about it. And I can't help but think that he's telling me so that I can give him a pat on the back, right? The idea is that I want Michael's approval and maybe that's what he does want, but it doesn't matter more than God's approval. And so Jesus says, when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. And so in this section of Jesus' sermon, he hits over and over and over again. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, don't let anyone know. And this is the most difficult way to show honor. Because the truth is, we want people to know that we're honoring them. Right? If I'm giving, if I'm praying, I want people to know. And I would argue that I have pure motives, but I still want people to know. And Jesus knows this about us. He knows that our tendency is toward selfishness. Our nature is toward arrogance. And he's not saying that doing good deeds in front of other people is bad. He's not saying that it's sinful because sometimes it happens. He's just saying that when you do that, that is your reward. People clap. They'll like your Instagram post. They'll say, good job. But Jesus knows the most difficult way to honor is to honor in secret because we want the praise. We want people to think highly of us. We want people to think that we are a good person doing good things. So what do we do? Here's the main application today that I want you to get. It's this. It says, the antidote to arrogance is anonymity. 
The antidote to arrogance is anonymity. See, Jesus knows that as we treat people as uncommon, we will enjoy getting credit for it. And getting credit for it is fine. If someone says thank you because you treated them as uncommon, say thanks or say you're welcome back. Don't be weird about it. But to make sure you're honoring others for the right reason, you make it a practice to give and to pray and to fast in secret. And so I'm going to talk about giving. I'm going to talk about prayer. And you can lump fasting in with prayer because they're connected. And I know when I talk about giving, people get uneasy. People are cynical when churches talk about money, and I totally understand that. So let me preface this by saying that I'm talking to the people here that are Christians. I'm talking to the people here that would say that they follow Jesus. So if you don't follow Jesus, you can look at the Christians around you, and you can tell them, it sucks to be you right now, okay? And I've realized how we could make collectives giving go up. Now, we could make collective, giving at collective increase if we let everybody know what everybody else gave. Now, some of you are super uncomfortable right now, but stick with me. We could put a TV in the lobby, and each week we would do a giving power rankings, right? So you'd walk into the lobby, and it would show the top donors from their weeks with their names and what they gave. And some of you think this is ridiculous, but there's also a piece of you who's think that's thinking, I'm going to save every dollar I have so I can give it all in one Sunday because I want to be at the top of that list, right? That's the weekend you invite your parents. That's the weekend you invite your friends. You're like, hey, I go to church, and I give. Look, I'm on the list. And I think this could be a good idea, and some of you are thinking that I'm crazy right now because it would make our giving go up and our attendance would definitely go down. But this is why giving is so hard, because nobody knows. It's private. It's simply between you and God. There is no public praise. And if we're being honest, we want that. We want people to think we are generous. We want people to think that we give to God before anything else. We want people to think those things. The problem is nobody knows. The antidote to arrogance is anonymity. Let me say this, too, while I'm talking about being generous at Collective. I have a fundraising coach. He's very smart. Um, he knows way more than me about some things. He actually told me not to tell you this, but I don't believe him on this point, so I'm going to tell you anyways. So Collective is not in some kind of budget crunch. Our giving has gone up this year. We expect that to continue. Our staff has followed the budget. We have a finance team that's monitoring it all closely. Now, we're only one and a half years old as a church, so we still depend on funds from outside churches. But we believe that the generosity of this church will fill the gaps and will be fully self-supporting by our target date of 2021. So this is not about being in crisis. This is not a passive, aggressive attempt to get people to give. In fact, if you know anything about me, I'm aggressive-aggressive. I'm not passive-aggressive. But here's my thing. I just wonder if we could do better. Right? I wonder if we are doing our best to honor God. I wonder if we have reached our potential. Because I have dreams about this place. I have dreams about this church. I have a dream about a day where Collective is big enough to fill the Weinberg for Christmas Eve services. I think that would be absolutely amazing. I have a dream of getting into a permanent facility and creating more space for people to experience the grace and truth of Jesus. I have a dream of starting more churches in Maryland, specifically in Western Maryland. This area needs more good, healthy churches. I have a dream of baptizing 100 people in a year. Last year we baptized 40 people, but could we ever get to a place where 100 people publicly profess their faith in Jesus and get baptized in a year? How about 150 people? How about 200 people in a year? I have a dream that our impact in this community will be even bigger than it already is. Last year, we don donated 10,000 pounds of food to our community. I have dreams of us donating 50,000 pounds of food in a year. 
I have dreams that we have such an impact on this community that when people think about loving Frederick, they think about collective. And those are just the dreams that we could realistically as a church reach in the next five years. And all of that is dependent on people honoring God with their giving. All of that is dependent on people saying, I'm going to honor in a way that nobody will ever know about. Now, God will know, but that's it. And so the question is, will you honor God with your giving, even if you don't get publicly praised? Even if it leads to us honoring our community and Jesus gets praised instead of you? The antidote to arrogance is anonymity. So let's talk about prayer. Jesus says to pray in secret. I had a friend tell me recently that he realized that he would tell people, I'm praying for you, more than he'd actually pray for them. Right? He's one of those people, and this is what he said, that he goes on Facebook and he sees people going through things and he loves the prayer emoji. He just like posts it like a million times. He's like, I'm praying for you. But the reality is he would never actually pray for those people because he wanted the attention. He wanted the ego boost of honoring someone without actually going through the work and spending time praying for someone. That's why Jesus talks about prayer. In Matthew 6, what we read earlier today, we actually skipped over a section where Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer. And in one sentence, uh, this, it says this. It says, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think we misunderstand this sentence. And maybe it's because it's been modeled poorly. But we think this means, well, God, it doesn't really matter what I say or want. Just go ahead and do whatever you want in your name. Amen. But this sentence is not meant to be a passive cop-out. I believe that this is meant to be bold asking. And listen, we are sinners, so inevitably some prayer is about getting us back in line with God. But sometimes prayer, as instructed by that verse, is asking God to get the world in line with him and his will. So instead of passively praying to God, what if you prayed boldly instead? Instead of just going home and praying, God, if this is your will, please do this thing that I'd really like to happen, but if it doesn't, I'm totally okay with it, which you're not. What if you said this? God, you are a God of wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.25 says that the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And God, I see a group of people who are acting foolishly. Will you rise up and teach your people wisdom because their actions are hurting your kingdom? Or God, you are pure. Matthew 5.8 says, blessed are those whose hearts are pure. So God, give me the courage to expel all impurity from my house. God, your will be done so that I can get rid of all impurity and I can have a pure heart. Or God, you are compassionate. Psalm 147, verse 3 says that you heal the brokenhearted and you bandage their wounds. And God, I know some people who are brokenhearted and who are bleeding. God, your will be done and bring compassion to those who are grieving. Maybe this is just my type A personality, but I don't understand passive prayers. Right? I don't understand this question of God, what is your will? We know God's will. God's word is God's will. We read it in the Bible. That's why I strongly believe that prayer must be specific because if you don't pray specifically, you won't know if God actually answered your prayer and then you won't build your faith and, faith and you won't build your trust in him. Here's a prayer that some of you have prayed. God, if it be your will, let me get that job. The question is, what does that even mean? If it doesn't happen, is that God's fault? Like, how do you interpret that? What if instead you prayed boldly and you said, God, I'm going to apply for this job. I'm praying that you make them hire me. Right? And then if they say no, you don't have to blame it on the other candidates or a boss who didn't give you a good reference. You just know that God said no because you were bold and you were clear. See, a lot of the time, I, don't, I think we don't pray specifically, and I think we act like we're really humble by saying, God, if it's your will, 
But the truth is that we don't have a strong enough faith to handle if God would tell us no. Because we think God is a genie in a bottle who makes all of our dreams come true, and we don't worship him as the terrifying and amazing and compassionate creator of the universe who holds the world in his hands. So all of this is to say, be bold, be specific. Those are the kinds of prayers that honor God. And you don't get points for it because nobody else sees it, but God does. So let me just ask you some questions since we're talking about prayer and honor. Are you praying for your parents? I know you don't get along, but are you praying for them? Do you pray for your ex-wife? I know she hurt you, but do you pray for her? Do you pray for your pastor every week? Because he needs it. Do you pray for your friends who don't know Jesus? I know you like telling your Christian friends about the people in your life who don't know Jesus, but are you actually praying for them? Do you pray for your spouse? Like, really pray for your spouse. Let's be people who show honor by praying in secret. Now we're going to wrap this up. Collective, I, I have loved preaching this series. I love your responses to it, the note-taking, the conversations, the implementation. I really do believe that this series is something that we will look back on for years, saying that something changed both in us and in our church going forward. And I've already seen this on, on some level. I've heard stories about personal notes. I've heard stories about gift cards. I've heard stories about free babysitting. I've seen it on Sunday as more people are giving than ever before and trusting God with their finances. More people than ever before are joining the team and honoring others, including strangers they don't even know, on Sunday morning by creating space for them to worship and experience God. I see it happening during the week as so many of you have stepped up to help us partner with organizations in our city. We are growing in honor. But Jesus knows when you honor, you may become arrogant. And so the antidote to arrogance is anonymity. So collective, here's your homework. I want you to do two things. I want you to give this week, and I want you to pray this week. And I don't want you to tell anybody about it. Don't come talk to me about it. Don't try to find your friend on the way out and ask him how their homework's doing, which is really just your way of tricking them into asking you how your homework's going so you can brag about it. Don't do that. Just do it. And here's why. Here's what Jesus knows. If we can make a habit of giving, of praying, of fasting in secret, if those things can just become who we are, the culture of who we are, the DNA of who we are, we as a church will set the standard for treating others as uncommon. And Jesus will get all the glory. And when that happens, more lives will be changed. More marriages will be healed. More addictions will be broken. And more hope will be restored. And truly, Frederick will never be the same. Let's pray. God, if we're being honest, um, we really like the attention we get when we do good things. And God, we really like the praise that we receive uh, when we help somebody out. God, honestly, sometimes we do things just so we can get that praise. God, God, I pray that as a church, that we don't honor other people for shallow praise. God, ultimately, I, I pray that Collective isn't a shallow church that does things just for themselves. God, I, I pray this church does things to glorify you, to move people to you, so that you can do what only you can do, which is heal marriages, give new life, restore us back to you. God, give us opportunities this week to show honor. God, give us opportunities to 
uh, do it privately in a way that only you know, God, in a way that only glorifies you. God, that's hard for us. Uh, it's going to feel weird. Uh, truly, we're not going to like it. But God, I pray that you continue to work on us and work on our hearts and help us be people who choose to honor one another to praise you and you alone. God, thank you that you have expectations for us that are high, um, but God, that you offer us grace when we fall short. God, we thank you for the ways that you love us, the ways that you honor us, the ways that you treat us as uncommon. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.